Hello, streamers and dreamers. It's Thomas. And it's Alex. <laughs> this is Movies After Work. Uh, today's going to be a bit different because, as you know, either a brand new horizon and a brand new world has been laid out before us, or the world is ending. Uh, we are here to discuss just that today, but we didn't want to do it alone. We needed somebody who loves things like stats, numbers, and general feelings of apocalypticness. And who better than my good friend and new father, Andrew Dodson. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I love stats. That's why they call me Andrew Billion Dodson. <laughs> yeah. I promise I won't be like this the whole time. You, you you really need to learn how to lie, man. I, <laughs> I love numbers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, of course, guys, um, the, the big thing going on right now is the whole Warner Brothers announcement that for uh, the entirety of 2021, they will be releasing all of their 17 films plus Wonder Woman here coming up at Christmas. They will be releasing them for one month on HBO Max, starting the exact same day that the movies go into theaters. Jesus. Isn't that many? Is it 18 movies? The, I didn't realize it was... Uh, I guess it's okay. It's their entire slate. I thought it was fewer. I thought it was just the major ones. It's crazy. Yeah, it's literally every Two. single movie that they were going to, to release, including ones that we know sometimes at best only that some people are in them. Um, movies that they haven't even thought of a catchy tagline for what's happening in the movie yet. Yeah. Um, but we wanted, to, we wanted to really take a dive into this. We didn't want to just make it something that we talked about for 15-20 minutes after discussing a movie and our normal news ending of an, of an episode. So we decided we were going to dive into it with a whole episode. Um, and we've got you know, we've got some big questions uh, some have little questions attached to them, but um, the first question, obviously, in this is, whose fault is this? <laughs> um, you know, obviously, the, the big culprit is COVID and uh, America's handling of the situation, but obviously there are other factors. Now, given the fact that we're talking about something that has me talking in it, uh, we might as well get the inevitable man living rent-free in my head out of the room and just acknowledge the biggest whiny bitch of all of this, Christopher Nolan, and the fact that he undeniably plays plays a role in this decision. Uh, yeah. He forced their hands in releasing Tenet in theaters, uh claimed that it was going to be the savior of cinema, that it was going to save movie theaters, that they were going to all bounce back magically because his movie was in theaters, and then not even close. Yeah. It was, it was basically a failed experiment, and you can definitely see that that was one of the dominoes that had to fall for this decision to take place. Um, and I don't think it, the scenario is nearly as the sky is falling as Chris Nolan is <laughs> out to be, but there's, there's some legitimate you know points on either side to make as to 
whether or not this is the best move for them. Well, and I, I have some other theories about why he's got a the sky is falling attitude about this, but we'll get to those later. Um, well, like, one of the things, too, that, like, Tom, you know, I, I am a Chris Nolan fan, and this is one of the few things that we kind of agreed on that he overreacted, but, like, he's, what, one of, like, four directors who has final cut? Like, like he's one of four or three directors that Warner Brothers, like, will work with that will let him do whatever he wants, and, like, he didn't get his way this time. Like, I don't know, I was thinking about it earlier. He's kind of like the aliens in War of the Worlds. Like, he thought that he could dominate everything, didn't realize that a simple virus would take him down. Like, <laughs> uh, an unfortunately apt analogy, to be sure. Um, yeah, he's been, I mean, he's been with the studio for what, at least 15 years? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um,. Was it starting with Batman Begins, or did one or two of his movies... I I can't remember when Insomnia came out. I can't remember if that was pre or post. Insomnia was the post-Batman Begins one. Like, he did the every other one for me, oh. one for that thing. Yeah, so I think it was. It was the double B. Alright. So, yeah, pretty much since uh, he, he came in and did Batman and other things he he's been exclusively with the studio and now he's essentially trying to bastardize them but yeah he was the one that pushed they were reluctant and then agreed to to give him what he wanted and put the movie in theaters and see what would happen and unfortunately what happened was showed that we were not ready to all flock back to theaters yeah i mean it it's also, it was a Chris Nolan movie where he, where he was bragging you were going to be super confused with this movie, which is not really a great way to get your average moviegoer to go to the theater. But beyond that, it just, with the, yeah, the situation as it is, it wasn't going to work. But to be fair, he is not 100% to blame in this. Um, yeah, Dotson Dotson's smirking because he... I was convinced that I was just going to blame him and then call tonight and close out the episode. Um, I'm happy that you see the gray area. Yes. Well, um, another, I mean, another big aspect of this is the fact that HBO Max has struggled been and been essentially a borderline failure in its launch. Um... You know, when the news was announced that they were doing this, they were at 8.6 new subscribers. Separate from people that already had HBO that could pan over, they only had 8.6 after, what, half a year? And uh, this, you know, this compares to, um, you know, Disney, 74 million at at, at the time of the announcement. Now, given... Given that's worldwide, which HBO Max is having some issues with, and Disney is cheaper, but still, like those are the numbers in comparison that we're talking about. Even looking at um, first month numbers of four million for HBO Max versus uh, the Peacock streaming service, which in its first month had ten million. Now, granted, a chunk of their 
their stuff is free, and I'm not sure what of this 10 million is paid subscribers, but... That's still the same, that Peacock beat HBO Max. It's weird. <laughs> like, that's so crazy. It's not... Yeah. It, yeah. And the... I mean, since they've announced, the numbers as of uh, last night, we're recording this on Wednesday, but the the numbers as of Tuesday night was that HBO Max was now up to 12.6 million subscribers. So they've gotten roughly 4 million subscribers just from saying these movies are going to be on HBO Max in their first month. Yeah. Which clearly has helped them. Um, I think, I think time, I mean, what do you, in terms of timing, do you guys think that beyond the, the situation with Tenet, which it, they could have done this immediately after, do you guys think there's a reasoning to the timing of this? Um, I mean, I think it plays into our discussion with Wonder Woman, uh, a couple weeks ago where, we had talked uh, about how they were sort of back into a corner with Wonder Woman because they wouldn't stop marketing. They wouldn't stop, you know, trying to, you know, push this thing that just needed to maybe wait it out for a while. And they continued to sink money costs into marketing, into advertising, everything that's going to push you to go see this in theaters and the theater turnout wasn't going to be what they needed it to be. Um, you know, you can't go to a theater in most of California in New York in you know, various areas of the country. Um, so it would have been a smaller experience, a smaller box office for them anyway. And I think that that's kind of where we're at with a lot of the films because, you know, Godzilla versus Kong and Dune and, um, a lot of these films that are scheduled to come out for the, you know, first half of 2021 are in various stages of production or post-production. You know, a lot of them are nearly in the can, and it's so much has already been sunk into them that the, you know they have to try this experiment in 2021 and see what works for them and what doesn't. I kind I think. Like, they needed to try it out on Tenet. Like, part of me does think that, like, Christopher Nolan was kind of a sacrificial lamb in a lot of ways. Like, look, let's see what happens. His movies, even when they're not Batman open to, like, they make $800 million worldwide. Like, maybe there's something there. If it fails, we need to reconsider everything. And it did. And it's no... I, I, I mean... Yes, I think part... Yeah, it's... I think it's a smart move. So, I mean, marketing-wise, it's probably the right thing to do, especially the freaking struggling app that should have been way bigger and should not have had the Roku problem. Yeah. And the Amazon problem until recently. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of international issues. Um, yeah, I mean, they 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 pushed out an app. They pushed out a streaming service they weren't that wasn't ready. That's for sure. Um, and then, and you know, it came out, it wasn't available on everything, and then you'd open it up and go, oh man, like, 
one of the number one things they've been promoting for this is South Park. Let me watch. Where is it? Okay. They they promoted South Park before they actually were before the they were officially able to put it on there. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, when because uh, I did the the trial of it when it initially came out, and. Unless I was just an idiot and for some reason couldn't find it, there was no South Park to to just touch on there. But then also, after a month or two of it being on there, all the Harry Potter films left. Because they still had all these contracts that they have to finish up of, for TV or streaming rights. So, people go, you know, and then at one point... Some of they announced that some of the the DC superhero films were gonna go, and it, like in their first two months, there was more talk about what was leaving HBO Max than what was coming in. Yeah, it 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 was strange not to have basically the entire DC catalog available to us yes. um, day one. And I know that you know you can point to um, Disney Plus and be like, well, not all of the MCU was available to day one. You know, we still don't even have. Not that people might, people might not have expected it, but you know we still don't even have Spider Man Far From Home and Spider Man Homecoming on there, um, because obviously that's Sony. But you know I think that Disney, they did do a better job of saying like if you searched a film and they were going to put it on there soon enough, they had the page for it and they said this will be available this day, you know after it fulfills its contract or whatever. Yeah. That's how I knew when. You know, just stupid shit like George of the Jungle. That's how I knew when George of the Jungle was coming on. That's how I knew when The Sorcerer's Apprentice was coming on. We knew when a vast majority of the MCU was going to join Disney+. Um, and HBO Max doesn't have that sort of, um, you know, transparency. They don't have, they're not forecasting to people what they should be excited for what's coming. Yeah. Well, and I think timing for this... I think timing for the for for the rushed announcement and the clearly rushed behind the scenes behavior on this also stems from the fact that uh, you know in in the midst of all of this chaos, even just since Wonder Woman was announced, it was lost in the shuffle that by the time Wonder Woman's out, there will be no free trial option for HBO Max. Oh, really? They're going to be taking the free trial option away, which makes sense. Yeah. HBO, sense. HBO has spent the last decade bragging about how pirated its TV shows are. Now, there's actual issue if they get pirated when yeah. it comes to Wonder Woman. Now, if they were to just announce that with no end date, or for just an arbitrary amount of time, that doesn't look good. They announced that all of 2021 is going to be going straight there and announced that free trials are gone. Well, the lack of free trial suddenly makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. But it also kind of pushes and pressures people into committing to that gain an actual subscription. I think they have, like, in lieu of a free trial, you can purchase six months for, like, $69.99 up front and do that instead. They just renew every six months at that rate, which is actually a Netflix 
idea, basically, or whatever. Like when Netflix, like Netflix took away, or Disney Plus, one of the two took away their free trial recently, and it worked out. So they said, "Well, we're going to do that, and we're going to offer a bundle." Those so pub- yeah, I completely. I could I can easily believe that Netflix with things like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and a lot of the other movies they have coming out on there, deciding we're not going to let people come on here, try our stuff for free, and then back away. Um, yeah, because let's I mean, the subscription numbers are what these the streaming services follow, not how many of their subscribers watched a movie in its opening weekend. You know yep. they can they can give you that number to brag a little bit, but being able to say oh as soon as we announce you know in the time from announcement to release of this movie we got this many new subscribers that's how excited people were for it you know yep. that's that's a lot better than hey people that already had the service and have probably finished watching the popular TV shows through for their third or fourth time decided to turn this movie on in the background not as impressive. Yeah. Do you think someone like Netflix can do that because they have the wealth of content and they can kind of say, hey, we know why you're coming here. You're either coming here for Stranger Things or you're coming for Glow or you're coming for Orange is the New Black or Great British Bake Off. Like you're coming here for something. You have an idea of what you're coming here for. Like, do you think HBO Max can do that? I don't think that they have the catalog you can easily identify that, you know, other than the films that are coming out in 2021, that would be driving people to there. I think they still need that sort of, that that information. The, the challenge here is that, yes, Netflix absolutely can get away with that. Because they've got over 100 million subscribers, and I'm pretty sure that's before you even leave the United States. Mm-hmm. So, the odds that you're going in blind are yeah. highly unlikely. Yeah. Whereas HBO Max, I mean, the um, the show Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the, those guys, the, the two Mikes, first of all, they did an amazing episode discussing this as well, um, but in it they point out just how good the HBO Max catalog is. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, but the thing is, is that, yes, it's an amazing catalog, and it's argue you know it's arguably better than some of the other major streaming services but it's an amazing streaming service if you're a cinephile you know if you're the yeah. sort of person who wants criterion collection but you can't really afford to tack that on to your to your already illustrious collection of streaming services hbo max is kind of a nice middle ground yeah, I still we watch. talked about it, like, the thing I was most excited about was the Studio Ghibli films. Really, in the world, like, who really cares outside of, like, actual film nerds. And so, yeah, I, I mean... Yeah. Well, you get I that. You get Fellini films. Like, films. Mm. like I, I think HBO Max has a, like, and that's sort of what I'm, what I was saying. Um, I think HBO Max has the problem of you're almost spoiled for choices on there. And when I go on there, I never know what I'm going to watch until I'm watching it. Like, I don't know if I'm going on there for a DC film. I don't know if I'm going on there for Turner classic movies. I don't know if I'm going on there for criterion collection. I don't know if I'm going on there because my kid wants to watch 
the monster at the end of the story, you know, like the, the new Sesame Street special, like there, there is a lot of stuff on there. There's yeah. original stuff like, um, uh, Love Life, which is actually really good. The, the uh, the thing I was thinking of was cl- uh, Close Enough, the J.G. Quintel, um, cartoon that was from the, uh, you know, the creator of regular show. Like there's mm. a lot of shit on there, but I almost don't know what I'm going there for until I'm on there. But I think another issue they had was, that I don't think it was like content they were like really worried about or whatever. Like that wasn't their main concern was like, hey, we have a bunch of good stuff. Is that they got cocky mm. and because without the rule, like if they had Roku subscribers, their subscriber base, they could migrate from HBO Go and HBO Now mm-hmm. is insane. There's already yeah. such a vacant audience. Like, I, this is like this little background on me. Like, I work in digital marketing. And so, like, the fact that they would have to pay little to nothing for acquisition of new subscribers is crazy. And that's like, I think the main reason they're like, we could just do this. Like, we're not really competing with Netflix or, you know, maybe Disney Plus. Really, we're just trying to better ourselves. And then they chuck themselves in the foot by, like, I think probably actually about a third of their audience with the Roku thing alone. But that was kind of, I think, their big thinking in the room was, we have a baked-in audience. We've been doing this so well for so long on HBO Now and HBO Go. This is a no-brainer. And then, ooh. Well, and that's, I mean... That's the big thing, though, is is marketing. They did one of the most... I should not be able to say that Quibi did a better job marketing themselves than HBO Max, but it's the truth. You know, the HBO Max, they are just now kind of starting to make it where you can't scroll through Twitter or watch a video on YouTube without really getting hit with their stuff. That should have been happening three, four months before it even launched to get people excited. Yeah. But, yeah, now they're in a place where they've got all this content on there that they've spent money on that Mm -hmm. they need to, you know, they need to get subscriptions for. Plus, they've now, they've got all of these movies, some of which on IMDb don't have anything more than a one-sentence synopsis, one or two actors, the writer and the director, and then some, like Wonder Woman, that they've over-marketed, over-merchandised in this climate. Yeah. And so they're, you know, they're down so much money, and their only way to save themselves is subscriptions for HBO Max. And unfortunately... By trying to force people out of the theaters and onto their TVs is one of their only options. Yeah. Now. So. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. oh go ahead. No, well, I was going to say, well, I, mean, I don't know. I, uh, I was going to say that one of the things about the subscription model is that if they can make it work, it could be very lucrative, but you're, I mean, you're saying, like, I mean, we can get to that whenever you want to get to that. Mm. It's like a whole spiel <laughs> about retention marketing. Well, unfortunately, we have a, a what, it, quite frankly, is an ugly question. You know, it's, it's the hardest question to ask in all of this, but I think 
it's the question that we can't avoid. I think it's the question that we need to face, that everyone as, as a community needs to, to ask. And unfortunately, we can't really leave it towards the end like you would want to for, for such a big buildup of a question because we need to answer this question before we can continue. And the question is, are theaters to blame for what's happening? And I hate uh, to say it, but the answer is a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, Alex and I, we've worked in movie theaters. And to be clear, to, to be very, very clear, I, when I say that movie theaters are in some part to blame, I am speaking on a corporate level, not on an individual theater level. On an individual theater level, Unless you are a small, one-screen theater, you don't have a lot of control over what's going on in-house. But of course, if you're like a, a small, independently run, one-screen theater, you don't have a lot, you probably don't have a lot of revenue day in, day out, to be doing too much. But, when is the last time that the theater industry truly and honestly innovated itself. Not th added a gimmick like 3D. Truly and properly just innovated themselves. I, I think a lot of the... Uh, I think the most recent innovation was probably, you know, Dolby Atmos. You know, having theaters that really wanted to immerse you in sound, immerse you in experience, um, that pushed the sort of, you know, like Cinemark has their luxury loungers, AMC, you know, and there's a location in Pittsburgh that has the Dolby Atmos where it's, you know, an extremely comfortable seat and you got speakers basically right next to your head and there's speakers in the ceiling and, you know, but that is, that is a premium that I don't think everyone wants to spend, you know, they're, um, a lot of people are kind of okay with the standard stadium seating, standard screen um, experience. Uh, but I do think that for cinephiles and for people who really care about audio and visual and being comfortable and making the theater-going experience an experience, most of them will go for that Dolby experience or the luxury lounger experience. It's just a matter of, you know, theaters making that more important, you know, making that worth it for the general, general audience. Mm -hmm. I think unfortunately, like in general, the only way that, the only other way I've seen theaters really innovate is like, it's a limited experience getting to go somewhere, sit down and do something. There's only so much you can do. You can do 4D max or whatever and have your chair move. You can have adult or Dolby Atmos and have amazing sound, but like that's, probably about it the other thing that people have done is kind of go backwards and offer a more uh old school experience like an alamo draft house and like you know uh the new beverly in la when you know quentin tarantino took that over and just running old movies mm. like that's the like i was just talking with a friend about actually like the the death of the movie theater so he like wants to write a book about it so we were just kind of like shooting back and forth, ideas back and forth. And one of the things that we came up with was that it's kind of like 
shot themselves in the foot. And in a large way, they were only playing the biggest movies, and like those were the multiplexes that were making the most money. Even then, it wasn't that profitable. Like AMC was always on the brink of destruction because movie theaters are not a profitable model, not really. And so, one of the things that's going to have to like probably go the way of vinyl if it wants to like have a resurgence in the future. Maybe it's probably a good thing for movie theaters. It means people will make it feel important again and not cheap. Yeah. I think you're going to see something where, you know, in Pittsburgh, there's no shortage of movie theaters. You know, I can I can go on to uh, Fandango right now, and there's probably 20 within, you know, 50 miles of me or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's a lot. I think we're going to see a lot of them close their doors, and the ones that remain open are the ones who can sell an experience to you mm-hmm. to make it more than just you know going going down the road to Cinemark or going down the road to Regal or whatever it might be um, but I think you can almost it's not exactly apples to apples but you know everyone can turn on their TV and watch a football game that's happening but you know there's a select group of people who are going to splurge and go to the stadium and go you know be in the stands and want to be there for the game. And I think that we're going to see something similar to that. Well, and I think, I think, uh, you know, each of you have, have touched a little bit on, on the two different aspects. I, one, it's, it's becoming, a, a in all honesty, a niche venue. Like, unless it's, you know, unless it is, something big like um, a Marvel movie or a Harry Potter movie or uh, like a, a, a Disney and or Pixar film. Um, it's not, you know, people just going just to go. And I think that's, you know, that's step one. One of the theaters that I worked at in Los Angeles, they had what was called Mommy Movie Monday. And, uh, Alex, I'm sure you heard me plead for this at our theater in Pittsburgh. And it was, it's quite simply on Mondays, they would pick one of the big new movies that came out that was PG 13 or less. And they'd show it in the theater at like 10, 11 o'clock. The theater would only go down to half light. The sound was quieter than normal. And it was publicized as, you know, mothers and, you know, parents, like stay-at-home parents of toddlers and infants. Bring, we encourage you to bring your kids to the theater to see this movie. It'll just be you guys in there. People, you know... Nobody's gonna get mad if there's a baby crying in the theater because their because their kid is either running around like a headless chicken or also crying, or the kids might all fall asleep. You don't know, but it was it became the space and it was very popular. You know, and because and part of it was you know going again to the whole concessions is what makes the money for a movie theater. You get these stay-at-home parents that don't really get to go out much during the day. They spend a little bit more on concessions. 
One, it's their, you know, might be their kid's first time getting to enjoy movie theater popcorn. So let's, you know, get that popcorn and really have fun for them, you know. Or it's just the, oh, I never get to do this. I'm going to splurge and get some candy and get a little bit bigger of a drink than I normally would. But it, you know, doing little things like that, that's the kind of, you know, those are the kind of bits of innovation that need to exist. Um, you know... We see movie theaters now doing event stuff, you know, with Fandango, where they'll, you know, show riff tracks, they'll show na- the National Theater, they'll, they'll show that kind of stuff. Why in the world wasn't there a movie theater chain teaming up with HBO during the heyday of Game of Thrones? Yeah. Where you could pay to watch the episode when it aired on a big screen in a movie theater. Where you could pay episode to episode, or you could pay for the whole season as one big chunk. You know, all of a sudden you're getting a whole market of people that now can do, you know, normally like all squeeze into someone's apartment to watch an episode together. Now you're saying, hey, let's all go see it on a big screen. You know, some of those episodes, you know, so often people kept calling that show cinematic, and I just kept thinking, someone should be doing something then. Yeah. Um,. But even Sorry, some, goddamn expensive. It, <laughs> you can't spend another cent. But it might, it might have been, but it, at the very least, it would have been something that would have pushed theaters, theaters as becoming a social gathering site. Yeah. In a whole other way. But, and this is where I'm going to sound, you know, this is where I become all capitalist conservative here. Um, in complete honesty, but when it came to the era of COVID, I want, you know, movie theaters did not adapt. They, they sat there and they waited for people to give them some, you know, they waited for backers to give them money, but they didn't try to do anything to adapt. You know, we, we've talked on this show on multiple occasions about, you know, take, take your theater and set, you know, do it, you know, set up a sort of drive-in to it. You know, any theater with a parking lot could have worked to create a sort of drive-in where they're at least showing one movie a day. Maybe even one in the first half of the day that's a kid's movie, and then one in the second half of the day that's PG-13 or rated R. But they doing just doing things like that to give themselves a reason and ability to continue to exist and run, even if they're running on a skeleton crew, to just show one movie when they're normally a like twelve theater multiplex, would still have been better than you know you're going to see more people show up in their cars to sit and watch a movie safely than you are in, for one day, than you are for one day, if not one week, of, hey, who wants to risk getting COVID to come sit in a theater to watch a movie? Whether it's, you know, something like Jaws or Ghostbusters that's an older movie that people would have fun going to see on the big screen, or whether it's an, a new big, you know, new big major studio release. 
And, and the drive-in kind of made a comeback pretty much yeah. as soon as like theaters shut down. Oh, There's yeah. like a couple out here in Vegas that are killing it or were now they're now it's cold. But yeah. Yeah, it's yeah like, I mean, by necessity, that a lot of drive-ins got way more. You know, I went to a drive-in this summer, and this is the first time in quite a while that I did. Um, yeah. And I wasn't seeing anything good. I went and saw the, uh, uh, un, what is it? Jesus. The Russell Crowe movie. Unstable. Oh, unhinged? Unhinged. Yeah. I went and saw Unhinged, and then the Dave Franco-directed horror film where... Uh, the Lodge, um, the Lodge, the, the rental. rental. The, yeah, the, that, that's right. The Lodge and the Rental came out of the sale. I don't know how I know this. I have not seen these movies. <laughs> I'm a broken man. You were so excited to know the Russell Crowe movie's name. <laughs> yes. uh, the Rental does look good. I heard it's pretty like interesting, but uh, well, but any, either way, it doesn't. Yeah, I wouldn't have seen it in, in the movie theater. You know, it's something that I went to see in drive-ins because it was virtually the only thing out. Yeah. Uh, Sneaker six. They fucked up. But it, yeah, it's they they've created a, a, a climate where it doesn't seem like they could survive, and unfortunately, Warner Brothers has has picked up on that and decided to to attack. Yeah. Um, well. I- I don't think so much that they're attacking. I think it's, you know, we have a problem that requires a solution. And, you know, it's going to negatively affect you, but there's not much we can do about that because we need to dig ourselves out of a hole right now. Um, and I think, I, you know, like I said, I don't think the scenario is as bad as Chris Nolan wants to, you know, perceive it. But... You know, there is legitimate concern as to whether or not movie theaters can survive through this. And they're certainly not going to thrive. You know, 2021 is not going to be a record number for movie theaters, even if, you know, they put out six MCU films. Um, But I think we are going to... I think theaters are going to be much more dependent on the Disney releases and the Paramount releases and the Sony releases than they are the HBO Max releases. Um, But also, I don't see... You know, I've been trying to see the positives in this and play devil's advocate. And, you know, one of the things that immediately jumps out to me is, like, this is very inclusion, like, inclusionary. Like, this gets to include so many people who don't typically get to go to the movie theater. You know, if you're disabled or differently abled or you have kids and you can't get out of the house and or you're just you know, you have social anxiety, you know, anything that keeps you from easily going out and going to the theater, um, not even just now, but at any point, you know, it didn't have to be a pandemic for you to be uncomfortable in social situations or to, you know, have it not be easy for you to get transport to and to and from the theater or to whatever the problem might be. You know, this does open it up to a lot of people who, you know, are able to shell out for the HBO max subscription. Um, you know, we are going to have something to talk about basically every, you know, at least once a month, we're going to have a new HBO uh, movie to talk about if we choose to do so. Um, so that's, you know, there's definitely positives in this. It's just at what cost 
to who? At what cost to the theaters? At what cost to the studios? At what cost to Legendary or whoever it might be? Yeah. Um, well, and that that's and that's part of the question to me is, could we not have shown support for theaters by saying, okay, so we're going to release the Matrix Four or Mortal Kombat or In the Heights? We're going to release these movies in theaters. They're going to have their opening weekend in the theater, and then they're going to stay in theaters, but that Monday, they're going to drop on HBO Max. So yeah. we're going to... Isn't that what they're kind of doing? Now, that, that, I know they're doing it with Wonder Woman. They're going to release it simultaneously on the same day. I thought they were doing that with all of them. I could Simultaneous. Oh, okay. So you're saying, oh, okay, you're saying that, like, do it at the same time. That's I'm, no one's going to go. I'm, but, yeah, I'm saying, you know, give the movie theaters, give them that whole, like, fear of missing out. Mm-hmm crowd like potential of that so that way even if you know it's not going to help them at all you're at least giving a show of support for the theater industry because that's i mean that's the next big question here is what happens to theaters and what happens to their relationships because one of the biggest gambles i would say for warner brothers right now is after pulling this on them when they start letting other, you know, when other studios start releasing their movies back in theaters and Warner Brothers decides they're going to do that, why are theaters going to let them? Theaters, theaters will have every right to go, yeah, we don't show Warner Brothers films because you left us to die. So we're going to, you know, instead of, instead of having two screens of the Batman, we're going to have four screens of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And give them yeah. the chance for more revenue, and you're going to have to sit there and hope that people want to waste their money on an HBO Max subscription when they could be going to see all these big movies from every other studio in theaters. It's not the bi- it's not the biggest gamble on Warner Brothers or the theaters aspect, but it will hurt Warner Brothers far more for theaters not to let them back once this is over, then it will be for theaters to shut them out. I, I think this kind of goes back to our, you know, and this was a while ago, but the universal AMC <laughs> dispute, you know, when, mm-hmm. when AMC said that we're not going to show any, any more universal films because you put trolls world tour on VOD, boo hoo, mm-hmm. you know, we we all kind of saw that as an empty threat, and you know they come or they come around with this deal, you know, of there's only they're only going to be have to be in theaters for 17 days before put on a stream, you know, put on VOD or whatever. And you have to imagine that AMC gets some portion of that in some way, or or you know, well, that's part of the deal. Um, the deal, as it's been finalized, uh, as, as I'm to understand, is. Um, the movie ha- a movie has to, a universal film has to stay in AMC for seventeen days, yeah. Unless in its opening weekend it makes I forget the exact amount of money. It's either opening okay. day or opening week. It has to make a certain amount of money. If it makes that certain amount of money, Universal has to let them keep the movie for thirty one days. Okay. So basically, it's it's, it's essentially it's it's literally just them saying if it sh- if it's clear that this movie is making money, you have to let us keep the movie so that way we can make some money. 
you yeah. can't see, you know, you can't release a movie, see that it made a, you know, a ton of money, and then pull it away from us. Yeah. Right, right when it's time for us to really start making our share. You have to leave, you have to leave it with us so that way we can keep making, so, so that way we can get some of the pie as well. So one of the things, it's funny, after you asked if I wanted to be on this episode, I immediately started saying news stories and hearing people on podcasts talk about this very issue more. And one of the things that came up was an interesting thought that, like, AMC might die completely. Like, no more AMC. And instead, Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney, all these studios will buy up old theaters and do studio-owned theaters. So Warner Brothers will have, once people start going back out, will have Warner Brothers chain of theaters. Like, that's one theory that uh, I don't disagree with. Like I said before, like, I'm kind of for the reinvention of the movie theater because it's, like, the one industry that hasn't been completely, like, disrupted like this. But that's one, I think, popular, somewhat popular theory is that... Well, and I, I get that theory, but at the same time, I mean, AMC is the number one theater in the world, not just because of the states. So, you know, are they going to become a, are they going to become an international theater chain exclusively and let their domestic locations die? Or are they going to use some of what they're making internationally? Are they going to start to turn that around to kind of help keep their domestic alive. And that kind of, I mean, that, that does become a little bit of the question. Um, but I mean, the, the, the real question, and I haven't, I haven't heard anyone ask this yet. I think partially just because one, we're still kind of looking in pity on, on theaters in this situation, but, um, and I could be wrong and someone's mentioned it and I just didn't notice it, but what do we think ticket and concession prices are going to look at when look like when theaters come back? Do we think they're going to keep them as they are right now? Or do we think that there's going to be a little bit of a skyrocketing? Is it going to suddenly become very expensive to go to theaters because they're trying to bounce back as quickly as possible? So I actually kind of have a theory on that a little bit, if I may. Um, the thing with that, like, so niche movie theaters will probably skyrocket prices because they're mostly, like, bootstrapped or privately owned. Uh, but what I do also kind of see happening is, you know, major, like, investors will put their money behind certain chains, like at AMC, domestically. Uh, let's say they break away from their international component because China is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting for them. So domestically, someone is going to put a bunch of money, like a Mark Cuban, into AMC. And they're probably going to tank prices to get people in the door, much like you know, HBO is taking the risk right now. And basically, there's no guarantee of retention, so they could lose a lot of money or they could make more money than they ever made on any single movie mm-hmm. with this gamble in the long run. It's the same thing. We'll probably actually get to see movies at major chains for dirt cheap because they're just going to have a bunch of like fundraising money, like investor seed money behind a lot of these chains because they're going to be super desperate to get back in. 
Discount Tuesdays are going to turn into We Pay You to See a Movie Tuesdays. <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> this is right up to marketing expense. Literally, if you guys just walk in the door because you need the bathroom, we'll give you a hot dog and a bucket of popcorn and put you in a theater. Our compliments. Um, well, I you can, um, was it not AMC who, you know, very briefly when, you know, some locations started to open, they did their like, oh, it's our, whatever it was, 50 year anniversary. So you, we're going to let you pay what you would have paid 50 years ago. And it was like five cents to go to the movie. Like mm. that, I mean, and that only was for a short duration, but like, I'm, I'm on board with you. I think. For a while, we're going to see, you know, I think we're going to see a split. Like I said, I think there's going to be those theaters who stress that this is an experience and this is something you are going to want to shell out for. You know, you are only going to want to see Black Widow here. You're only going to want to see Godzilla versus Kong here. So that's why you're going to pay a premium or we're going to see, you know, a discount for a lot of theaters where, you know, please come in the door for four dollars and. You know, everything's, you know, we want as many people in here as possible to try to recoup our losses. So I think everyone in the world will understand, like, it's not going to be, no one's going to be embarrassed to offer something like that. No theater's going to be, like, putting their tail between their legs and saying, sorry, it's so cheap, we promise it'll be worth it. I think everyone's going to be kind of in consensus, like, we need you, you feel like you need us, come on in. So, I mean, hey, so, I mean, yeah, it might be dirt cheap. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> That's what we, I would do. We, we, can only, we can only hope that it's, it's, that whatever the situation is with theaters moving forward, it is one that, um, that work that's an actual win-win and not the fake win-win that Warner Brothers executives have been saying since they announced this fucking deal. Um, I, I think, I think if one more of them says, says win-win, they should be forced to do Jared Leto's makeup for his return as Joker in the Justice League Snyder Cut. I think that should be their punishment, because I think it's the only way they're going to learn. Um, but, I mean, moving forward, that is the next big, the next big question in this is what happens to studios? I mean, do we think any other studios are going to join in what Warner Brothers is doing. Because every, every studio has at least one streaming service that they've got a hand in and therefore could pull this kind of thing. I guess it depends on who's like making the movie. So like Fox doesn't have to worry. They have Disney Plus to like back them up. I, I bet you they just team up with other, you know, partner with other streaming services or whatever like I, you're right it is confusing like do they all just release it on their streaming platform and then no one does anything yeah. but um now yeah. now we tomorrow's gonna be a big day because tomorrow we've got the estimated four hour long uh disney investor uh expo thing basically the disney shareholder extravaganza um, and it's going to be like, it's expected to be about four hours long. Um, I am I imagine that it's going to include, you know, all sorts of different things about Marvel. I'm sure 
Kathleen Kennedy is going to come out there to tell you all about all the directors that they kind of sort of are talking about, about possibly maybe doing something Star Wars at some point in the future. Um, and, and watching her desperately try not to bash George Lucas, who's recently gotten a spine to kind of talk about stuff. But that's, that's, a, that's a tangent. We're supposed to be on our best behavior with tangents today, Duez and I. He's succeeding where I'm Don't failing. Don't let me in. You started uh, doing it. I, I said where he's succeeding and I'm failing. Um, but we do know that Soul, like Wonder Woman 1984, is going to be coming out on Christmas Day. Now, do, do we view Soul releasing on Christmas Day different than what we're getting right now with Warner Brothers? And if so, what what is it that makes this different, even if we were just talking about Wonder Woman. I mean, I think part of it is an unfair kind of value that we as people put on animated movies. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Pixar can release their movies on streaming. It's fine. It's animated. It's better than most all animated movies, but I just, I just think that it's in general, people aren't like flipping out about Soul, I guess, being released on Disney Plus as much as Wonder Woman being on um, HBO Max. Yeah. The, I, think it's, I think it's also different because we haven't seen something like Soul go on to a streaming service yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've seen Trolls World Tour come out on VOD, but that is not held to the same standard that you, held, that you hold a Pixar film to. Um, How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I struck a nerve there. But it, like we we saw Mulan come out, you know, on uh, on Disney Plus with the sort of premium subscription that you had to pay once, and I think that you can almost more closely compare to Wonder Woman eighty four, um, you know, because it's live action, because of its like content that's in the genre of film it is and the way it's being uh put out i I think is similar um although you don't have to shell out that premium price um with soul i just think they want to they want to see how an animated film what an animated film does for them because i think even mulan isn't the target audience of most disney plus uh you know, subscribers, I think something like Soul, you know, something for parents to watch with their kids, I think that is the driver for Disney+. Plus. I wonder what that translates to them, um, you know, for, for numbers or whatever it might be, um, and what, you know, what it looks like for them. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, for me, I, I disregard Mulan as a factor, because Mulan, at the end of the day, some, they clearly sat down and said, the controversy has officially killed the anticipation for this film. Like, there's too much controversy about the lead actress's behavior, about where this movie was filmed. Like, there's... The the controversy killed the anticipation for that movie. That movie did not have a chance of truly bringing in the money they needed it to. So, putting it on a streaming service and experimenting with the whole pay a, a certain amount of money made sense soul i think part of the problem with soul is that the optics look bad it looks like we gave up on 
Pixar's first movies where the main character is a person of color. So the optics... Yeah, the optics of it look bad, but at the end of the day, I think, honestly, this is more about Disney being... promoting being responsible and safe. Because what do families do on Christmas weekend? They go to the movies. And whatever the newest kids' movie is, that's what they go to. They are literally taking the movie that would bring every family with children and grandparents and everything in between flocking to theaters, as is their tradition, and saying, nope, we'll bring it to you. You stay home and keep social distancing. So I think while the optics look very bad in in a lot of ways... Not that, you know, this movie doesn't already look like another Princess and the Frog where we've got a person of color and then immediately strip them of that fact. Yeah. Um, but it feels different because it feels more like it's about being safe and less about trying trying to save their own asses. Do you, do you think also that a, that a precedence was set whenever Onward came out so quickly on... Disney Plus, because I think that was also sort of a turning point for a lot of people where they're like, oh, this is, they put Onward on on Disney Plus very quickly after it was in theaters. Um, and I think that was sort of the first step as to let's experiment with how quickly we can put this on Disney Plus and what this looks like for us. So how many people subscribe strictly for Onward and then realize there's, you know, a hundred other films to, for them to watch with their kids. Well, I, I think, I think Onward's identical. Um, <laughs> in, in the fact that they, they were just like, they decided to cut short the theatrical run. And the, the, Onward wasn't the only thing. There was a bunch, like Onward was part of a, a movement of movies. Yeah. Um, that honestly, was led by Invisible Man at Universal. Uh, of saying, of saying, you know what, we're we're just gonna make it so you guys can watch this at home. It's what you should be doing. So we're just gonna we're just gonna do that. And because at the time we didn't know how long things were going to be, because yeah. at the time it was about you know it was an active doing that with Onward, The Invisible Man, and and a handful of other films was more of a studio effort to get this over with quickly so people could get back in the theaters. Yeah. So it was on the same team as the theaters and doing it. So those those movies, more so than any other that like they were in a whole different market of of rationale and reasoning. Yeah, that that was more of a courtesy to the to the consumer. It was, hey, we know quarantine's tough. This is here to hold you over. Well, and then the cut to six months later, we're still looking for shit to hold us over. Yeah. Well, that was literally meant as a win-win because it was yeah. Yeah. it was studios are still getting their movies accessed by everyone. The people who made the movies are getting everyone to see their movies and have money made off of them. The theaters are being helped in making them a safe haven where people are less likely to get COVID, but also to try to get people to be able to go back into them like normal again. 
Yeah. And, it, and for consumers, it was access to this stuff while being able to stay safe. It was a literal win-win scenario when they did that. Um, of course, now it's just changed. Um, it's changed a lot. Now, so that's, I mean, the, those are the, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of different factors. Not everything feels identical and it, it's rationale. But we're also going to see, I, I mean, inevitably we're going to see some changes. One of the ones, uh, and I wanted to bring it up just because this also got kind of thrown out there in a I hope you miss it mentality. I am hoping that we're about to see the end of the backdoor deal for filmmakers and actors and actresses. Um, for, for those of you who did not hear about this, Warner Brothers, when they decided to release just Wonder Woman, they negotiated $10 million to Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins for them to, for the two of them to stay happy and to publicly show support for the decision. The ten, the ten million that they each made was based off of the concept of what their backdoor dealings would have been if if the movie had gotten to go out in theaters, if not for COVID. Um, basically, you know, just their so. First and for, first and foremost, all my respect for Patty Jenkins has died completely. Because she got handed ten million, praised this whole thing, and then once she saw all of her other filmmakers weren't as happy, she sat down with Aaron Sorkin to continue to voice support while at the same time encouraging everyone to do another United Artists and and let's all just subjugate from the evil studio corporation while she's sitting there counting the ten million out. Um but, I mean, these are the kind of, you know, it's these kinds of situations where, you know, studios are having to promise chunks of money to to actors, actresses, filmmakers, if the movie does well and makes all of its money back. You know, it's just kind of an ugly thing to exist. And I'm, I'm hoping that the difficulty, because that's what, that's what the majority of these people are really upset about. They're upset about losing their backdoor deal. They're upset about the fact that they don't get to make that extra money and they have to live with just what they were paid up front. I can see that in some ways. Uh, and I mean, so Netflix pretty much eradicated the idea of points on the back end of the film. Like when it comes out, like no one, everyone gets pretty much, I think, a flat rate going into any mm-hmm. Netflix film. The exchanges, the exposure you get, like, you know, may be seen by probably way more people than would have gone to a theater, for example. Um, some people are, yeah, they might be a little overpaid. I don't know if I can begrudge Patty Jenkins for taking $10 million, uh, but I do worry about, like, writers and whatnot who are always notoriously screwed out of points on movies. Yeah. And usually the ones who get the brunt, like directors and actors are always going to be okay. They usually have producer credit, but writers are the ones who usually get uh, screwed. 
uh, pretty much in every aspect yeah. of that. That or that or visual effects artists. I mean, it's amazing mm-hmm. how many people forget that. You know, while while two or three of the visual effects team for Life of Pi were up accepting their Oscar, getting the lights shut off on stage on them, the rest of the team was packing boxes because the lights had literally been permanently shut off at their at their studio because that was where some of that piracy loss was being taken out on. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I just watched a video on this recently of, you know, these these deals where, you know, actors get a portion of the of the box office revenue. You know, that's famously how Robert Downey Jr. makes out so well in the MCU because, you know, he has these deals for huge percentages of the box office that is sort of unlike his MCU co-stars. Um, and, you know, it's not strange that Gal Gadot or Patty Jenkins has deals like this um, with them being the names attached to Wonder Woman. You know, they, they are the two that are most synonymous with this incarnation of Wonder Woman. Um, you know, the, the problem or the question is, what does this look like for these 17 other films? You know, how many yeah. of these films have actors attached who had deals like this? How many of these people need to be bought out of their, you know, of that clause in their contract? Um, you know, that's why we are seeing Legendary, you know, potentially suing uh, Warner Brothers because, you know, Legendary put up, seven, you know, something like 75% of the... Um, Godzilla you know, versus Kong. Yeah, the, I, the cost associated for Dune and for, for uh, Godzilla versus Kong, you know, they put up about 75% of the, of the cost for it, so how do they make out in the end? You know, what is, what does that look like for them? Yeah. Well, and I mean, there, there, there could be a lot of debate on how much money any of the movies on the roster were going to make. I mean, I, you know, there, there are movie, you know, James Gunn's suicide squad, obviously a movie that everyone could expect to make great money at the box office. Yeah. Um, Hugh Jackman's movie where he's a time-traveling professor trying to find the love of his life. Dodson's giving me a weird look. That really is one of the movies on the docket. This, um, is, this is breaking news to me. That, I didn't know he was remaking Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah. That movie was not going to make that much money. Dune, if you look at that director's track record, if you look at movies, if you look at movies that visually look like that, in other words, Christopher Nolan films, you combine Chris Nolan films and that director's filmography, Dune was not going to, it was going to break even if it, on, on the best of chances. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, but I do think it's probably going to make more on HBO Max if this all works out before it comes out. It's going to get viewed a hell of a lot more. Yeah. It's not going to get them any new subscribers, but it was. it's going to get viewed more. I might, I might break the theater to go see it. If it's okay by then. But I'll get COVID. That's all I'll get COVID for doing. I'm saying it right now. <laughs> 
I'm I'm not leaving COVID for any movie that that looked at that's at Sting in that glorious one piece and thought <laughs> we could do better. We could do better with the with the whiny kid from Lady Bird and Call Me by Your Name. <laughs> All right. Well, just have me back on for your Dune episode. We'll talk to you. Okay. Um, but that I mean that you with Legendary you bring up another uh, you know another factor here. What's going to happen with Legendary and other third parties? other third-party studios. What are, what is the future that we're going to see with these guys? Are we going, you know, are we going to see you know, the possibility, you know, what happens if you had and I'm just using these three because they're three recognizable ones off the top of my head. Are we going to see Legendary A24 and Blumhouse continue to try to operate independently and hope and try to find big studios to distribute for them? Or are we going to, are we going to see them try to run completely solo and try to be the next Lionsgate, um, and break the chain and break the Orion and Gramercy chain of being the small studio that didn't know what the hell it was doing, um, or are we going to see these studios, these smaller studios, go on our own? We you know we can't do a ton financially. But if we all became one studio, we can do more and we can give these others, you know, we can give Warner Brothers a run for their money. We can give Universal a run for their money. We can use what we've read from Sony's emails against them to give them a run for their money. Um what, I mean, where do you where do you think we're headed now with these? I think um, A24 has the legs to maybe stand on their own. Um, I think Legendary, I associate so closely with Warner Brothers, though, um, that I I see it in their relationship, maybe. But, you know, we are talking about 2021 being sort of an anomaly, you know, sort of an experiment to see what it looks like going forward. Um, I don't think this rules them out for, you know, participating in sequels. You know, if there's potentially a sequel to Dune, if there's potentially a sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong, um, and it's going to be in theaters, and it's going to make the box office that they want it to, to expect it, you know, expect it to, then I don't see them, you know, burning that bridge and ruining their uh, relationship with Warner Brothers completely. Here's like a weird thing too, so it's not exactly a small studio, but um, for some reason last year on WTF with Mark Marin, Brad Pitt decided to reveal that Plan B has never made money. They still operate on debt. And the loss. I don't know why he revealed that, but I think a lot of these small, like even A24 might not be generating a lot of money. It's just a lot of investor capital that are making these movies because they're uh, awards contenders. And that's good for like your value, like where you put your money. One day you'll recoup those costs or do a big deal with another studio. Yeah. Um, in a way, I think streaming might actually offer easy 
profit because they are often paid whenever they do release something on streaming up front. Like, you know, Blumhouse, they have a Hulu deal, for example. Like, they, they already have it in there. Uh, it actually might be the safer bet to partner up with an HBO Max or a Disney Plus. Yeah. Well, and I so think this, you know, I think it was because, I mean, do as, like, you mentioned, you know, the idea of a sequel to, um, to, to Dune, because it's supposed to be at least a two-parter, um, you know, depending on what happens, Legendary could now use this leverage to say, you, you gotta fit the whole bill for the second one. Yeah. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put all, you know, it's, you're putting, you're putting all the money in, and we're making whatever profit off of it that we can after finishing off, you know, to finish off the, what you took from us by doing this streaming deal. Dune is kind of an interesting thing, because this was supposed to be two parts. We're only doing the first half of the book for this first movie. Um, and so that is actually like a unique situation unto itself where say 2021, like you said, it might not generate new subscribers, but what if it gets so many viewers and let's say it's as good as doubtful, we'll see, or better than Blade Runner 2049. People will actually pay attention to it. Alex, you don't know this, Blade Runner 2049 is like one of my favorite movies all time. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> But because of that, that means they greenlight part two, release it in like 2024 when theaters are safe again, and it's almost like they're investing in a success. Yeah. Uh, because they know that people, oh, this is so cool on my small screen, theaters are back, they actually might get quite a few people yeah. to go see it in theaters, and more subscribers if they decide to keep it on HBO Max as well. Yeah. So that's like an interesting like investment opportunity, I guess. What but that's the only one like it. Yeah. Well, what do you think of the potential for, um, and I, I, I don't know necessarily if it was Chris Nolan who made this point or Legendary or someone else, but what do you think about the idea that these project or projects are now seen as less than because they are this streaming service loss leader? You know, I, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that. You know, it's not... It's not Disney putting Noel on Disney Plus because it's Christmas time. Like this was a Bill Hader. No, I haven't actually watched the movie. I just love Bill Hader. Um, well, I'd be very curious to know who it was that said that because if it's Chris Nolan, it plays into some thoughts that I have at this point. Um, that again, we'll get into here in a minute, but. I mean, regardless of whether it's Nolan or Legendary saying it, it does beg the question, how many directors are going to be willing to get in bed with Warner Brothers yeah. after this? If we're talking money, one of the things that, like, one, that sounds to me kind of just like stodgy old, you know, British guy who still thinks, like, film is the only way to make a movie... Blah, blah, blah. That just seems like old white dude logic to me. Yeah. The other thing about it is that I don't think they're less than. There's a bunch of financial components to, like, think about. So I just did quick math on how HBO Max acquired 4 million new subscribers after the news that they're going to release those movies, right? 
So even if all those people did the $69.99 deal, that means overnight they made $280 million on an announcement that they do not have to split with theater chains. If they even retain 70% of those people for the next six months, that is the equivalent of a $1 billion movie in one year that they do not have to split with theaters because theaters take, I think, what is it, like half or something? Like they take an insane amount of the ticket price. At the the end of the day, the... At the end of the day, usually the best that theaters get with a movie is a 60-40 split in the okay. favor of the studio. In the favor of the studio, um, it's but a huge it can it can really often be less than that. Um, yeah. So, if all these movies, if this works out, all these movies start generating more subscribers. Like, I can't think of two might, but also like in the Heights, maybe I can't think of other ones off the top of my head. I'm tired. And the Heights is all that matters. Uh, I heard it's really good too for people who saw it when it was supposed to be released in June. My critics stuff. It's supposed to be great. It looks amazing. This could potentially, if they're able to retain the audience, which if Disney if Disney Plus is any indication, I think they do have like a seventy percent retention rate after that first month, which is like notoriously the hardest time. The hardest things to do is keep people after a free trial, which they're eliminating, but also keeping people after uh, a month. That is like your main leading indicator. Keeping that people after what they keep them for came a long for. time. It's something like, or I, I work for an app, and something like after, if we're able to keep people after one month, 90% of those people will remain with us for years. It's just something that's known. Um, yeah. So as long as this keeps generating more and more subscribers, one, no one has to care about money anymore. They can pay these people because also the cost of operating on a streaming service is server space and your employees, wherever they are, which I think HBO Max probably can't be any more than 300, 500 people. And of course, the cost of making the movie, but it's... Wonder Woman could make them, if they attribute you know, X amount to Wonder Woman, like of these subscribers, it could make them $3 billion in profit over the next, like, five years and just keep making, just based on the fact that they're just retaining subscribers. $3 billion is a number made up, so no one listening should, like, take that part. But my point is, is that these movies, <laughs> if they're planning to be around for 10 years, these, like, HBO Max, then they're going to... It's going to be insane. Like, I think that's the main thing that a lot of critics or just people who are not sure about this model are, like, they don't know, and that's not their fault. They don't talk about it. Like, what's John Stankey, or I, I want to call him Stanky, but I know that's not right, the CEO of AT&T. Like, no. he, they just had that big investor thing like Disney's doing tomorrow where they announce the 4 million new subscribers. Like, they could just talk about it and explain it there. Like, that's a huge part of it. Long term, it's probably going to make them more money than they ever would have releasing it in theaters. The thing that they're really giving up is the quote-unquote theater experience. Like, that is it. And even then, who cares? Like, you can stay home. The only thing that sucks is that your popcorn will be as good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- I think I think the one good thing that 
I, I think the one good thing that you're that that what you were talking about here that that comes out of this is um and again this is someone this is somebody else who's at fault um that's going to be punished for for their behavior and their their choices but yes um someone's someone's about to get spanked really hard and it's Zack Snyder I was just going to say that. Because his, his, his fan base has made the made it clear to Warner Brothers, we don't care where it is, we'll watch the movie. So they've I set the why. precedence and concept of it's okay to have our movies on streaming because that's where they're going to watch them anyway. But now that 17 other movies are coming out in 2021, do you really think we're going to be able to tell which new subscribers are on there just because of the Snyder Cut? No, yeah. they've just lost their ability to be able to say that that was a success. Yeah. It doesn't because it doesn't matter whether people think that shit is good or not. It doesn't matter whether it's good or not. It matters whether or not it brought them in subscribers. Now they don't have the ability to tell because there's such a because there's seventeen other fucking movies yeah. that are coming out that year. So they like they are also part of what gave... They are, from a consumer standpoint, the people responsible for putting us in this position, and they have now lost their hand. So, that makes me a little happy. Why would we watch Justice League when we have Tom and Jerry available? I really hate that I I don't (laughs) fully disagree with that. (laughs) I'm I'm uncomfortable with partially agreeing with that. that there's a, just a different kind of thinking that's going to have to go on. Um, and luckily, like, not luckily, this, I benefit from this in no way, but in a way, not to keep talking about my day job, I'm sure that's annoying, but the, the whole aspect of customer retention is, like, what I do, and most of what we do is, like, post conversion like attribution so like within the next day we don't give credit to anything until we know what someone did so i think they're just going to shift their thinking instead of saying like wonder woman brought in four million new subscribers you know i just said that ultimately they're going to have to be like okay well three million people watched in the heights 10 million people watched whatever blah 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 and then just credit it later and i think people are just going to have to kind of get used to that new way of of thinking. They have ways to track it. You can pretty much, even if you don't know what link they clicked that was like through a Wonder Woman ad, mm-hmm. you still pretty much can figure out where someone came from when they subscribe based on what they start watching in the first couple weeks. Um, yeah. If someone's like new and they're signing up, well, okay, and that's, sorry, that's another thing too. So, you sign up for HBO Max, and it's funny, uh, the marketing app, like the email marketing app that I use for my job is the same one as HBO Max. And there was this huge, they're called breaks, and there's this huge conference that they usually have every year that they have to do digitally. And so one of the things was HBO Max's CRM, Customer uh, Relationship Management Director, shared their free trial series, like what they send you based on what you do. That's defunct now. I was going to like talk about it more, but they got rid of the free trial the moment that I pulled up my screenshot of it. But they can... Basically, it doesn't matter. They can make big announcements, 
get 10 million new people. And now they're able to send them different in-app experiences and different emails and notifications that drive them to different things. And it's great from a data standpoint because you can now basically create your own film audiences. That's what Netflix has been doing for years when you log in. They can basically curate who's going to watch the movie and in all likelihood signing up for an app People who pay $69.99, that's a huge high intent purchase. You can pretty much tell them what to do, and they're going to do it. It's two to four hours if you're watching the Snyder Cut of your life. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's it's weird. It's just weird. It's weird. It's going to be whole new thinking for everybody. And Hollywood's mostly, you know, white guys who are going to have to address the most and start talking and thinking about things differently when being public. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, that I, that leads into the final question, which is just what is going to happen with streaming. And I think the, the first thing that really uh, has to be kind of addressed with them is the fact that, you know, if we're going to, you know, as reliance falls more on them than theaters, they're going to fall into the same issue that, of theaters of innovation. You know, we have we have what we expect... We have what we expect from from all streaming services now to the point where I know it's stupid and I know it's petty and I know it's a you know the it's a stupid problem but I get annoyed that I can't that even if I fast forward to the end of the credits and let the credits play out I can't get a single thing I've ever watched off of my fucking continue watching on Disney plus. None of it will go away. And it pisses me off even though... But because that's what I'm accustomed to. That's what I'm used to. But the thing is going to start becoming... Okay, who really wants to... You know, I enjoy... There are certain shows that I will turn on and let play as background noise all the time. But how how long of me doing that before I just go... You know, I could just buy this show one payment and just have it forever and not have to pay a monthly payment to just keep watching it over and over again instead of paying for the subscription service where I'm not watching anything else. So how do you like, you know, the thing and part of it, part of it is that I'm not tech savvy enough to be able to know how simple or difficult it is, but why, you know, whether it's HBO max, Netflix, Hulu, I don't care who the, the streaming service that comes along and comes up with the ability to make a playlist of your favorite episodes of a TV show. So it only plays those ones and skips the episodes that you're meh about or that you just flat out don't like because they're shitty filler. Like, I'm sorry, if you watch Lost, every single time it comes up to the episode where Sawyer's chasing a fucking frog, you skip that episode. Don't fucking lie to me. It's not your favorite episode. It's not even your top half episodes, but, you know, people who say that they've watched through the office six or seven times where they, you know, over the course of one year, you know, do you really want to have to keep watching certain episodes over and over again? Or wouldn't it be great if instead of having to watch, you know, certain episodes that just get awkward for all the wrong reasons, you can just select your favorite episodes of all time and have those ones play through. Yeah. You know, those are the kind of innovations that we're going to need to start seeing from streaming. Otherwise, 
people are eventually just going to pick the one that has, you know, what their kid likes watching the most. Or the movie, you know, has the kind, you know, you know, I really enjoy indie films, so I'm going to keep Hulu. Or I, you know, I'll, you know, I'm shameless about loving my, my Oscar bait movies, so I'm going to keep Netflix, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're, they're in, they're, they're starting to fall into that position. Um, I think they have the time. I mean, again, one of the benefits in it, to answer your question, it's probably extremely hard to develop a feature like that, (laughs) but they would definitely do it. Like, I don't, it's kind of, I don't think they've been necessarily in this kind of competitive position yet. So it'll be interesting to see what the next level of like innovation is. And technically like to Netflix is already testing out interesting new features like the random, it's not like groundbreaking, but randomly watching whatever, like the random button, I guess that they have on there now. I haven't used it, but it's something different. I think they're starting to play around, but it'll take them a while to really figure out what's going to work. I mean, I think (laughs) there's a huge need for innovation in the streaming service market because there has not been innovation in quite a while. You do the same thing on every streaming service. Mm -hmm. You go on, you click down, you play to the right, you click down, you play to the right. Like it's, it's the same thing you're doing on every single service and they offer different things to some degree you're going on disney plus for classic disney movies you're going on disney plus to appease your kids you're going on hbo max now to see the newest warner brothers film you're going to netflix to see films that directors wanted to go there to experiment with like mm-hmm. you know david fitcher with mank like you, you know you're going to different services for different things but no one has a new hot feature like tom is talking about like creating your own playlist or, um, you know, a- anything really. Like, a, you know, you're just kind of doing a similar thing on all of them. It's just what ones are standing apart now. Um, you know, HBO Max was a relative failure when it first launched just because people didn't know if the DC Universe offerings were going to be there immediately. They didn't know if the DCEU was going to be there in its entirety. They didn't understand if it was going to have, you know, Batman the Animated Series and you know, Batman Beyond, like, it wasn't sure on how to sell itself, and now its selling point is strictly these Warner Brothers films coming there, and um, Scott Snyder, or or Zack Snyder's um, Justice League, and (laughs) we're talking about numbers, and I think it's going to be really interesting with that split up in four parts to see, like, oh, 20 million people watched the first episode. Oh, and then 10 million people watched the second one. <laughs> oh, and then 4 million people watched the third one. And, and then Zach watched the fourth one. of guys watched the fourth one. <laughs> we lost subscribers by the time the fourth one? <laughs> people, <laughs> people were so Speaking angry of losing subscribers, I think we probably just lost a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. Yeah, tell them to come back when they have better taste. <laughs> I'm the guest. I should not be saying that. But I think uh, the the last thing I want to bring up um, before we we kind of wrap things up here is 
quite simply, the my my theory that I've kept continuously been hinting and alluding to this whole time, and what I think Nolan's rant and bitch session was really about. At the end of the day, I think it's that we've seen a new opportunity to continue what Spielberg tried to do and delegitimize streaming services in the award circuit. I think that's what we're looking at. I think we're looking at a new attack. Because in Nolan, like... Nolan is about awards. He, he, they are his, you know, his white whale that he can't get to. That's what he's after with his movies. Um, you know, Dunkirk is nothing but empty award bait. Love, love it or hate it, that's what it is. (laughs) Um, but that, like, so, I mean... I, I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to obviously see his, like, you know, the apprentice to his Sith Master and the guy who's making Dune. Um, you know, we're going to, you know, he's joining up. Spielberg's probably going to pitch in his opinion. We're going to see more and more of that as it's a, it's a chance for them to try to make sure that Movies like The Five Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and a lot of these films don't make it onto the award circuit. So I think yeah. we're I think we're gonna start to see that that battle take a new life. Do Do you think though, with directors with you know such high acclaim like Martin Scorsese and uh, with David Fincher, you know, making Mank on uh, on Netflix? Do you think maybe there's a wall that's being broken down? I mean, even I think no. to some degree with um, Quentin Tarantino putting out the extended, you know, version of, of uh, The Hateful Eight, you know, the what, what, whatever it was, the two-parter, the four-parter, the eight-parter, like on, on Netflix, I think we're seeing a camp of directors, old school directors who are sort of embracing the new model and I think we are maybe going to see people who embrace the same day streaming service or same day VOD like they haven't before just by necessity I think so one of the other things too is that like a lot of stodgy directors will be upset, the Chris will be upset and so will Spielberg but Netflix and I'm pretty sure HBO Max will follow suit and like Warner Brothers will follow suit. They're also letting these directors, like Alex said, with make do whatever they want. So ultimately, one, you can't compete with that. No amount of money or anything Steven Spielberg can say is going to stop Robert Zemeckis from being like, sure, release the witches. Because, you know, what I like, great, someone wanted it. And like David Fincher from making make you can't find Hunter because Netflix was literally like do what you will yeah. and that's ultimately going to win out and also again going back to the money that could be made from subscribers and uh, just, you know year over year retention from all this like there's no like I, I think they're going to be mad but I don't think it's going to do much honestly like it's going to be like Trump's doing the states like it's just yeah. oh, I don't I don't think there. I don't think there's going to be any success in delegitimizing uh, 
the the quality and the the deservedness of um of these streaming service films but i do think we're going to see that divide i think it's going to be like in music when the electric heart guitar came along and if you ever you know if you ever played one you weren't allowed to be viewed as 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 part of the the old school of of musicians especially if you did protest music of any sort you know i forget i think it was bob dylan people were literally destroying his music because he showed up on stage for a concert with an electric guitar. Um, you would think he kneeled at a football game. I know. <laughs> but I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we're seeing now is that there are, there are people that might be, that might normally get viewed as part of, you know, the stodgy old white guys of Hollywood. But I think David Fincher's always been a forward thinking yeah. filmmaker he's always been someone who's been looking like whether I always agree with all of his films in terms of enjoyment or not he has always been somebody who it's about you know he's going to make the movies that he wants to make no matter what it takes no matter the cost he's making these movies and if you're ready for them great if not too fucking bad yeah. Um, and he was a producer on House of Cards correct I mean he's, he's yeah yeah, he was he was he was the one that pushed for the for the Americanized the the Americanizing of of that British series mm-hmm. and making yeah. that remake. Yeah, but he he's always sort of you know not always, but you know he is he's pushed this. He's one of the first to kind of adopt this mm-hmm. and this and to begin to say, hey, Netflix is something legitimate. If you want to go there to experiment or to make something that is not going to be, you know you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops to put in theaters or a lot of hoops to put on HBO max or Mm -hmm. HBO at the time or whatever, then, you know, Netflix is maybe the place to go. Um, I think we're going to see more people adopt this or adapt to this just based on necessity. You know, I think we're it's, it's 2021 is going to be very unique to see how these Warner brother films, um, play in theaters, how they, you know, how they perform in theaters and how they perform on HBO max. Um, and, you know, we might see a future where it does, you know, essentially just as well. And, you know, we're able to take some more risk. I think if we go back to the model of things have to be in theaters and there has to be, you know, theaters give them legitimacy. Like if, if we're talking about that for this year, then the contender for best pictures are Birds of Prey and the Sonic movie. You know, we won't have things like, you know, Mank or uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, we won't have these uh, these other films to, um, you know, potentially choose them for best picture or, or anything else. The, the, Oscars are, the Oscars for the foreseeable future, for probably at least the next three years, are going to look very weird. Um, are gonna, there's going to have to be a lot of adjustments made and things of that nature. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. But yeah, I mean, I know for myself, um, you know, there's one or two of these movies that I'd like to go see in theaters, just kind of help in a, in a big scheme of things, but it's about being safe. And I live in an area that's not been safe. Um, so we'll see. Um, 
But, you know, hey, if you're listening, what what are your thoughts? What do you think? What, you know, are you on board with this? Do you hate this idea? Do you, are you cursing the streaming gods or, you know, wanting to, to throw something at your your computer screen every single time a new Hollywood Reporter article pops up to, to spell of doom and gloom. You know, let us know. Uh, you can let us know on Twitter at Movies Work. You guys can email us, moviesafterwork at gmail.com. If your conspiracy theories get a little bit longer than 140 characters, I know mine do. Um, and then, of course, obviously, if you want to be listening to more episodes, obviously none of them are like this. Uh, most of them are us ranting in much weirder ways with far more tangents from me. Um, uh, whether you are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever, um, you can find more of our episodes where you are listening to this one right now. And do make sure that if you are listening and you are enjoying what you are listening to, that you drop us a nice rating, a nice review, wherever you are listening to us. Those... Little things do help so much. Uh, Donson, I cannot thank you enough for coming to have fun with us today and to chat with us about all this craziness. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. hope I wasn't too boring with all my money talk. No. no it, was, it was very insightful. We appreciate having you on, man. You, 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 bring, you, you bring a level of intelligence that, that I can only fake for so long. Um, now if people, if people want to enjoy other thoughts from you, Dodson, where, where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter, a underscore M underscore Dodson, or just search Andrew Martin Dodson. You'll pull it up pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, follow me there. Uh, I like to think I'm pretty okay at it. I wish other people would see that. (laughs) Well, hopefully some other people are willing to give you a chance now. Um, you, I mean, he obviously does say some fairly insightful, intelligent, and funny things. Otherwise, we would have had, we wouldn't really be communicating with him that often, or invite him onto the show. So obviously, we think he's worth following. Um, but again, guys, as always, uh, we thank you so much. Do as do you want to add anything else before we head out for the day? Um, no, I mean, you know, like I said, I think, you know, if I'm to play devil's advocate, if there's one sort of silver lining to all this, I do think this is, um, a really inclusive step, uh, whether or not they intended it to be or not. Um, I know that was redundant, but you know, like, I think, uh, (laughs) I think the, the fact that I, I think in fandom we can get very, uh, exclusionary and if you didn't see it day one you're not a real fan and you know if you didn't come out of Avengers Endgame day one ready to spoil it because if they didn't see it then boohoo it was their loss they're not a, they're not a real fan I think some of that can start to go hey, we can have conversations about Godzilla vs. Kong or Wonder Woman 84 where more people get to see it um, earlier and it's just more more readily available and um, more people get to experience it and that's, that's not a bad thing and they get to be involved with content surrounded, you know, surrounding it, like discussions about the film or reviews about the film and they don't have to worry about 
spoilers and all that. And I think that's that's always a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Very, very well spoken to us. Yeah. A nice, Thanks. nice, nice ray of sunshine for us to end the uh, to end the episode on. Much appreciated. Not typical uh, for us. Not no, not typical. Normally, normally I bum everyone else with my bum everyone out with my mental health issues as a as a way to end the episode. So nice to nice to go a different route than that. Every there's now there's and then. no wrong way to end the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but this one's dedicated to that little girl who wouldn't be able to go to a movie theater otherwise to see Wonder Woman 1984. There we go. That's the yeah. way to look at this. All right. Well, guys, as always, for movies after work, I am Thomas Green. I'm Alex Duez. Be kind, be safe, and have a good day at work. Thank you, guys. Bye bye.